Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, I don't think it's just conservatives that are not paying attention, or at least not watching, the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. And you uh, focus on this in the morning jolt. Uh, NBC might be the ones most jolted by the numbers coming in from the first couple of days of coverage. Uh, You quote uh, reporting over at Yahoo Sports saying NBC is facing a cataclysmic, always a fun word, loss of audience for the 2022 Winter Olympics as viewership tanked for Friday's opening ceremony, averaging just 16 million. It's a record low for the opening ceremony. Previous low was 1988 in Calgary at 20.1 million and a whopping 43% below the 2018 games in South Korea that notched 28.3 million viewers despite also dealing with a less than advantageous Asian time zone for American audiences. It also comes on the heels of Thursday's ratings disaster that saw just 7.7 million people tune in dramatically below same night audiences of 2018 which was 16 million and 2014 from Russia, which was just a little over 20 million. So, Jim, uh, people are busy, uh, a lot of things happening, more fragmented viewership than ever. But I think a lot of people, even beyond conservatives, beating the drum about how China and its genocide games doesn't deserve this and maybe the IOC pandering to China, it seems to be having an effect, which is great. Yeah, I, look, we kind of, I figured there'd be a drop of ratings on some level. The question was, would it be noticeable and would it be on a scale where we could say, yeah, okay, this looks like a reflection of uh, the selection of Beijing and all of the controversies that have surrounded the nation of China since, uh, you, know, ex- you know, exacerbated year by year, pandemic, the, su- the genocide of the Uyghurs, I think stands out most boldly, but you could point to Hong Kong, you could point to Peng Shui, you could point to uh, all kinds of examples like this. Well, uh, a 43% drop. That's, that's real. <laughs> you know, that's, that's clearly a, a uh, something that uh, indicates that something is really work at work here. And most of the explanations you come up be that are beyond people boycotting or protesting China um, don't seem to fit perfectly. The argument that it's a different time zone. Okay, but the last Winter Olympics were in South Korea. So it's not that different. Last summer games were in Japan. So uh, we're used to having Winter Olympics being in a very different time zone. That's not usually that much of an impediment to people watching live. Uh, it's not like knowing who the winner of the Super Bowl is. Some people just really like it watching these winter sports. If, if you're a curling fan, you, you're waiting for this four years. It's not like, ah, somebody spoiled the curling championship for me. You know, bastards. You know, that kind of. Um, the idea that uh, it's a more segmented and fragmented audience. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's no doubt a factor. Um, and I think it was a uh, uh, Pittsburgh Tribune Review hockey columnist, Tim Benz, who said, look, we're just not uh, a country that sits down and watches primetime network television anymore. And yeah, that's true. But you point, look at the, the ratings for the NFL games throughout the entire playoffs. And they've just been huge, you know, 20, 30 percent larger than they usually are. Uh, these are all great games, obviously. But I think. That's a demonstration that if there's something really compelling going on, people have no objection to watching 
network television when there's something you know really exciting live going on. Um, interesting factor that uh, certain Olympic sponsors like Coca-Cola aren't doing as big a push as they usually do. Somebody observed this, the Atlantic Journal-Constitution observing, you don't see uh, Olympic stuff on the soda aisles at grocery stores the way you usually get from Coca-Cola and stuff like that. That, I suspect, is a reflection of these games being inherently more controversial because they're occurring in Beijing. Um, so you add it all up, I think this clearly, you know, and the other thing I, I note is that if this was a routine controversy, I think Sochi, uh, Russia, a couple of years ago, puts in this quality category, Beijing back in 2008, uh, maybe even going back to Sarajevo in 1994. And by the way, listeners, you know, some listeners, may, if you haven't listened to our conversation with Bob Costas about two months ago, I think he walked through these issues really, really well. You know, NBC is stuck. They, they, they you know, spent a billion dollars to get the rights and to put all the broadcast equipment over there. You know, they're going to broadcast it. They're kind of hostages. They don't have a choice. They can't really spend a lot of time. Uh, really, they, they run enormous risk just by mentioning these controversies of Chinese government, never mind putting any spotlight on them. Uh, but I think this is a result of it. Most Americans are looking at this and saying, you know, I just don't need to watch this. I, I just, you know, don't need it. And it's not just the opening ceremony. It wasn't just a slow start. It appears to be night after night. And it's not NBC's fault, but you get in bed with the Chinese government in this way, you're going to pay the price for that. And there's just not as much interest in this. And hey, NBC's making money on the football stuff anyway. So um, I think it is a, a, it's very reassuring to see corporate America may not be willing to say, no, China, we're, we're not getting involved with this. But it's really good to see American TV watchers saying, nope, sorry, I don't need to watch this. No, I think that's exactly right. Uh, we have a, a line that we that we won't cross. Uh, and some people love the sports, and it doesn't mean that they're, you know, if they do watch, that they love the Chinese regime, certainly. But uh, uh, I think a lot of Americans just decided this is a bridge too far. We're not going to do it. Um, and like you said, NBC's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place here. It's not like... Uh, the IOC announced, hey, the 2022 Winter Olympics are going to be in Beijing. Who's going to broadcast it? No, they, they buy the rights to Olympic coverage years at a time. So they Well ahead of time. Yes. And, and Greg, we should put out, I think the other finalist was like Kazakhstan. <laughs> and I think they were in their own ongoing crackdown against uh, uh, against citizens uh, at, at the same time. So it's possible the IOC didn't have a lot of great options. But man, oh, man, not a great uh you know, turn of events for NBC. No, certainly not. And uh, one of the reasons it ends up in those places is because, you know, nobody wants it here, at least in any place where they live. I mean, remember when Washington was trying to get the Summer Olympics here a couple different times in New York and and the D.C. area never made it very far. And every time they, they, they kicked D.C. out of the running, we were like, Oh, thank goodness. The traffic would be absolutely miserable. Uh, and so they are going to be in L.A. The Summer Olympics will be in L.A. in 2028. But uh, uh, there's a reason why some unfavorable places end up with the Olympics is because other folks uh, don't really want the hassle anymore, especially post 9-11. And, and in a pandemic, it's not a whole lot of fun either. So anyway, Jim, a lot of other viewing options, a lot of other options, period, that don't involve uh, watching uh, on your device. Uh, but whether you're you're working, whether you're reading, whether you're uh, just spending time with family, there's a, an abundance of options on how to do non-Olympic things from the comfort of your ex-chair. You know, from the first moment I sat in my ex-chair, my body immediately said, ah, so this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. You know, I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I got my ex-chair. Now, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My ex-chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My ex-chair can do that, too. 
It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for the X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in another chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons I love my X chair. And now I can't wait to be at work. Sometimes even if I'm not working, I just sit in my X chair just to get that feeling. Take my advice, try the X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back, I promise. Jim, were you able to lug your X chair into your quarantine room or did you have to go without it for a few days? I just coughed on it so no one else could sit on it while I was gone. <laughs> go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. One more time, xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now, but it might really even be more of a first crazy martini today. Because, you know, the mask wars have been going on for a long time. We've pointed out uh, the Democratic hypocrites, Gavin Newsom, certainly among them, the mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, uh, London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, has been busted, violating her own policies a number of times. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, a bunch of Democrats, I think it's because they can see the political calendar, but others may have different analysis here. Uh, they're deciding that, you know what, statewide mask requirements in schools can be gone here in the next few weeks. Uh, AP with the story. Uh, the governors of four states announced plans Monday to lift statewide mask requirements in schools by the end of February or March, citing the rapid easing of COVID-19's Omicron surge. The decisions in Connecticut, Delaware, New Jersey, and Oregon, all blue states, were announced as state and local governments grapple with which virus restrictions to jettison and which ones to keep in place. The changes also come amid a growing sense that the virus is never going to go away and Americans need to find a way to coexist with it. And so Phil Murphy, you know, who put old people back into nursing homes when they're still COVID positive, among some other Democrats, Ned Lamont, who wants to do that to old people in Connecticut. Uh, and so on the one hand, we're like, finally, you're seeing the light here. Uh, but Jim, this uh, kind of monolithic shift we're seeing on the left doesn't seem very organic. Here's Leanna Wen, who not that long ago was suggesting people shouldn't be allowed to travel if they haven't been vaccinated or, or wear masks, is now saying, hey, the science is shifting. It's all good. We're heading in the right direction now. Here's what she said. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one-way masking, the idea that even if other people around you are not wearing masks, if you wear a high-quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer, too. And so in this case, I'm not saying, I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district of the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family who can still decide that their child can wear a mask if needed. Wow, what a concept, Jim, of people making up their own <laughs> minds here and parents having that choice. You got a bunch of Democrats in Virginia right now going, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, Greg, Greg, 
the science has changed. And by the science, I mean the political science. <laughs> it turns out that the need for the mask, there's, there's actually a very thin line you can see directly tied to the approval rating of a local Democratic official. Once that line drops low enough, the masks no longer need to be worn. That's how that actually works there. No, actually, it was just about three weeks ago that Susan Swecker, the chair of the Virginia Democratic Party, declared masks are essential to keeping students safe and schools open. But Glenn Youngkin would rather use our children as political cover to appease the extreme far right fringes of his own party. Um, I checked the website. I keep hitting refresh, Greg. I can't find the Virginia Democratic Party denouncing Phil Murphy and Ned Lamont and John Carney in Delaware. I, they, maybe it's lost. Are they? Are you? Know, did they, are they snowbound? There's no snow on the ground, but maybe you know Northam didn't clear the roads or something. There's something you know. But whatever, they can't get to the office to say, oh, and by the way, these Democratic governors are really terrible too. Unless, of course, they just feel like, oh, so if a Democratic governor does this, it's totally cool. It's totally normal. Totally fine. Totally safe. Removing mass requirements is only reckless if a Republican governor does it. I suppose we should be glad this is the case. I think that there's one other very important factor that declined and really came down in the last couple of days, Greg, and that's um, the Stacey Abrams. Um, she sat on the rug next to all those kids without a mask, with all the other kids wearing masks, and it looks so inherently ridiculous that I suspect every Democratic governor in the country is saying, "Oh no, don't don't associate me with that." No, 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 no. I, that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not like her. I'm not. I'm not crazy. No, 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 no. And I think that's what's at work here. I'm glad these folks are coming around. I think it's actually kind of overdue. I figured you would see these this sort of movement as you saw this, um, the rate of cases coming down. The Omicron wave goes up very fast and it goes down very fast. And I'm very thankful for that, even if I can't seem to get this darn freaking little pink line to get it off my instant test. <laughs> Well, the question, Jim, is uh, do you think voters are going to forget what these people have been saying for two years come November? Extremely unlikely. I think the people like <clears throat> the people who were mildly irritated by this might have moved on and might make their decisions in November based on other issues. Uh, it's not like there aren't other things on people's minds, such as inflation, gas prices, food prices, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. I, I do think the people who've been really boiling mad about this over the last, you know, also the fact that the country basically decided to not have schools from March 2020 to about, you know, various points in 2021 for most of the country. Um, I think those folks aren't going to forget. And I think they are going to, you know, like they're going to be broken glass kind of voters who will happily, like John McClain, march across broken glass to vote against the incumbents. Um, I think, you know, some some of the anger will dissipate between now and then. Kind of depends on the state of the uh, pandemic come November. But all in all, look, the people who've been feel like they've been betrayed by their educators and betrayed by the elected officials and this sort of thing, those feelings probably won't go away very much between now and November. In the meantime, rest up. Uh, as we uh, hopefully uh, get through the last stages of this particular variant and, and nothing significant follows it. Uh, MyPillow, fabulous products. Uh, you can pretty much uh, go through the evening uh, ensconced in MyPillow products and you're going to be dealing with high quality products. You've got bathrobes, you've got slippers, and then it's time to get into bed. You've got the pillows and the Giza Dream Sheets. And then you wake up, you can put the slippers back on. And then you hop in the shower, uh, take the slippers off before you do that. But then when you get out of the shower, uh, you've got the MyPillow towels, uh, which are also very, very good, very absorbent. But the great deal right now, 60% off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $39.99 
when you use our promo code Martini at MyPillow.com. The Giza Dream Sheets are made with the world's best cotton, grown in a region only between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. The sateen weave gives you a luxurious finish. The sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable. You've got a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. They've got a four-inch hem on the flat sheet and the pillowcases, and the fitted sheet has fully enclosed elastic hems with deep pockets so they'll stay on your mattress. Save 60% now with the Giza Dream Sheets flash sale. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 to get the Giza Dream Sheets for as low as $39.99. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. These will be gone in a flash, though, so head to MyPillow.com, use the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, on to our second crazy martini. I've decided now is what this one's going to be. Uh, and remember, it was either Inauguration Day or the day after. Uh, Joe Biden leaving very clear for his staff that we're going to be a culture that has respect here in the, in the White House. No ands, ifs, or buts. But I'm not joking when I say this. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot on the spot no ifs ands or buts does anyone ever think he's joking because he always throws that catchphrase in there but he's never actually telling a joke but uh, nonetheless he has a science advisor check that he had a science advisor named eric lander who resigned uh, monday evening but uh, had been twisting in the wind for a number of days due to his belligerent behavior uh, towards uh, other colleagues politico was the first to report that the white house had launched a two-month investigation into Lander that found quote-unquote credible evidence that he bullied his then general counsel, Rachel Wallace. The investigation also concluded there was credible evidence of disrespectful interactions with staff by Dr. Lander and other leadership, according to a recording of a January White House briefing on the investigation's findings. In addition, 14 current and former OSTP, Office of Science and Technology, uh, staffers uh, shared descriptions of a toxic work environment under Lander where they say Lander frequently bullied, cut off, and otherwise insulted people. But just yesterday, Alex Thompson of Politico asking Jen Psaki about this, and uh, listen to this mealy-mouthed answer. And he hasn't fired the individual at the White House found violated what he said. I understand, it, and again, let me just reiterate, nothing about his behavior is acceptable to anyone here at all. Quite the opposite. Let me be clear about that. But there is now a process in place that was not in place at the time to evaluate and determine what the next step, the steps should be taken in the event that any behavior like this occurs to prevent it from happening in the future. That is exactly what happened in this case. But because the criticism kept coming, they eventually asked him to resign, which he did, which left uh, California Congresswoman Anna Eshoo with a hearing today that did not involve the White House science uh, advisor, which is a cabinet-level position. I didn't know that until uh, this story broke. So, Jim, in the end, uh, you know, they ultimately got to the point where Biden said they would, but it took two months instead of on the spot, man. I don't know if it was immediately after that declaration that any bullying would result in firing on the spot. 
But I understand it was just a short time afterwards that Biden announced that his ambassador to Japan would be Rahm Emanuel, <laughs> uh, famous for his always treating everyone with respect, dignity, and a genteel tone of soft-spoken, easygoing persuasiveness. Uh, no, if you know anything about Rahm Emanuel, he's probably the biggest bully who's ever walked through the halls of the White House. But I guess that was then. This is now, and it's totally okay. Uh, look, you know, you you should not bully your 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 underlings or your coworkers. I kind of wish we'd gotten one or two more specific details of anecdotes of just what Lander was doing that made it so unacceptable. Uh, it's entirely believable that he would do something like this. It sounds like there's a lot of complaints about this, um, you know, which makes it less likely that one or two particularly sensitive snowflake employees who you know aren't used to being told no or something like that. Maybe he was terribly brusque or obnoxious or. Um, just utterly unnecessarily contentious and, uh, you know, insulting to his coworkers. It just is, you know, what I think you see is kind of this common theme in, throughout the entire Biden presidency. He says things that sound really good and doesn't really think through what it's going to take to actually enact that change he's promising, whether it's I'm going to shut down the virus, I'm going to cure cancer, um, you know, Right now in Russia and Ukraine, he spent, he spent a lot of time talking about how he was going to stand up to Putin and rebuild the NATO alliance. Well, here we are, and it's hard. <laughs> it's really, really hard. All of a sudden, oh, my goodness, you know, not all of our allies always get along all this time. You, do, you know, Just being Joe Biden by itself isn't enough. And it turns out that saying, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts, you're out of here, does not actually stop people who've been, you know, presumably behaving this way their entire lives to stop behaving this way in the workplace. Um we are not the least bit surprised uh, that, you know, somebody eventually was going to run afoul of this policy. And it is not the least bit surprising that when push came to shove, enforcing it became a lot tougher than it sounded like when, you know, Biden was giving his usual look at how tough I am type remarks or something. So, look, I hope no, you know, we have our disagreements with the White House. I hope everyone inside those walls gets treated with respect and dignity. There's no reason for people who are grown adults to act like this. Um but we'll see how this uh, shakes out. But once again, the administration made a big old promise, and then things got a lot tougher once it you know became time to actually keep that promise. Wow. Yeah. Usually, treatment like that either comes from uh, deep insecurity, uh, trying to pass the blame, or having a huge ego. And fortunately, there's not very much of that in Washington. So uh, well, we should. I was going to say, where are you going to find that in Washington D.C.? Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> good luck, everybody. Jim, have a good day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. We're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.